Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerninghearts.com presents St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke, who is the founder and president of the Avila Institute for Spiritual Formation. He's also the co-host of the Divine Intimacy radio show with his wife, Stephanie. He is the author and editor of more than 17 books on Catholic spirituality, including Devil in the Castle, the book on which this series is based. St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul, with Dan Burke. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Dan, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much for taking this journey with us. And I'm bummed that we're coming to the conclusion. Well, it's been fun. And I'm so grateful to be a part of the Discerning Hearts crew. But you you have really assembled such an amazing group of teachers between Dr. Lillis and Father Gallagher and, you know, on and on. So what you're doing with for the church is such a beautiful gift. And I'm grateful to get to participate a little bit. Well, hopefully we'll be able to do more in the future. I don't know if I'm going to write another book unless it's under obedience. I really don't want to write it. So. Okay, Stephanie needs to tell you to do another book. But my friend, this wonderful book, The Devil in the Castle, St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare, and the Progress of the Soul is so wonderful. We have received such a wonderful response in the course of our conversations. And now we have come to the journey, which I know people will rush out and get this book, yeah. um, because we do, we haven't wanted to, to go into all of it, because really some of it, you need to grab the book, sit and ponder, go back over and over again. In this portion were the battles of the seventh mansion. And Dan, this is only like and yeah. pages. Well, see, that's the glory of it, right? That's mm-hmm. the glory of it. By this point in the spiritual life, and I can most definitively say I'm not there. The battles are non-existent, really, because there's no more attachments. This is definitely canonizable territory. So we talk about that as the purgative way is where most people are, the illuminative way. There are many good people there, laity, religious, priests. And then the the unitive way is a place where people are already saints before any sort of final purification of necessary in purgatory, so they would go directly to heaven when they die. And it is possible, of course, for people to reach that in this life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have uh, saints, right? So it's a beautiful place where we we no longer wrestle with sin. And because of that, or attachments, because of that, the devil doesn't have handles, you know, those things to use to jerk us around. There's also a profound humility in this place. And humility is the number one barrier, if you will. I don't know if that's a good word. Maybe you have another one. But the number one deterrent or disempowering factor in the soul to dissuade the enemy, to fend him off, he just can't do much when people are really, really humble. And by this stage, people are. It's a time of great humility, you know, as you're alluding to, in that you don't presume you have the power at all. You need still need help. You still yeah. need direction, you need order, you need balance uh, in a rule of life. And you just don't stop doing those things, right? 
No, and, and remind us folks of that in the chapter, the, the secret of staying on the narrow way once you get out of the purgative way. Uh, so the secret of getting through the purgative way is mental prayer. The secret of staying on the narrow way through the illuminative and unitive ways is um, ascesis. And, but it's harder in a sense because your humility, I think humility is best understood as like seeing the truth, right, for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's seeing accurately what it is, uh, what we are, where we are. And so when, when you see accurately, so even someone in the unitive way is going to see far more how much they need the Lord than someone in the purgative way. Even if they wreck their lives or whatever, it, I know it's a little bit hard to imagine, but it is true, the, the further in you get, though you are objectively holier, you objectively sin less, you also recognize how incredibly broken you are and how you need the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the glorious, beautiful church, the magisterium, the saints, the entire divine economy. You realize how desperately in need you are of all that God has arrayed to bring his people into his heart. So that sustains you. But because you realize that, you also understand that you have to guard and maintain what what you have uh, acquired. So you have to be careful that the, the more subtle deceptions, I was reading recently in John of the Cross in Living Flame of Love, and he is talking about the transitions between the illuminative and the unitive way. And it parallels Teresa, of course, where she says, the more wily demons are in the later mansions, right? And they're more subtle in their deceptions. And he speaks, something that was sort of frightening to me in a way was um, he spoke of how easy it is for demons to deceive someone moving from the illuminative to the unitive way. And I thought, oh, dear Jesus. You know, the one effect is, okay, always, no matter how aware you are, no matter how awake you are, no matter how much you, you practice discernment of spirits and you live the life that we are trying to live and daily ascesis, rule of life, you know, all of this stuff, you still must rely upon the Lord and you still have to be careful and you still have to guard yourself. But God be praised in the seventh mansion. It's kind of a foretaste of one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, and that is, there will be no more sorrow and no more pain, no more suffering. It's in the book of Revelation. And it speaks of that final, you know, beatific encounter with the Lord and where it's, we're done. All the purification's done. All the junk from earth is done. Only what's good is left. And then only moving forward is, you know, what's good remains in front of us. So, you know, the seventh mansion, is is a kind of foretaste. I don't, you know, Teresa and John both seem to question whether or not everyone will be and reach the seventh mansion. I think there's there's universal agreement among the spiritual doctors and even our friend Dr. Lillis and others in, in our time that we're all called to contemplation, but what level or depth we will come to is is up to the Lord in in the end, and then also um, our own 
yes to him and the, the largeness of that has some effect. But in the end, we don't know if we'll reach there. But I love that the chapter for this one idea, and that is the closer I am to Jesus, the further I am from the control of the enemy, the further I am from my own destructive tendencies, the further I am from my own self-delusion. And I think that's the glory. It's a sort of a glorious end in just a few pages. Well, and the reality, can I say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in that passage from the illuminative to the unitive, don't be surprised if there is a degree of suffering. Oh, of course. That is so acute. But the fear of the, don't be afraid of that, because guess what? In this world, you're going to suffer anyway. And that sounds so bleak. I'm not trying to say, and I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but that would be a tactic, wouldn't it, to try to keep you from going? Yeah, you've made a good point. I mean, uh, you know, I, I speak of it being kind of scary because I just hate the idea. But as you say, the more you walk with the Lord, the deeper you walk, the more trust you have of Him, and the less trust you have of yourself. And so that's kind of, there's a two-sided coin. It's like, wow, I, I need not trust myself. Uh, that's dangerous. The other side, which I think you're pointing out is, you know, he's he's there with us and he'll give us every grace we need. And as you say, we will be purified till the day we die. The question is how much of it will be with merit or without, right? And I'm, I'm going for all with merit because I have no interest in purgatory. That's even possible for me. I don't know. But uh, I want to suffer with merit and th those temptations uh, bring suffering, but also, as you know, the suffering comes through just the purification of the, the constant revelation of God, which is beautiful, which he says, let me show you what keeps you, you know, let's run a little faster and let me, let me remove this weight from your backpack that you weren't supposed to have and that I didn't give to you. Why don't you take my yoke? It's easier than the one you've made for yourself and I'm attached to it, so I'll help you. So, yeah, we always have the hope, and, and I don't mean hope in the sense of maybe it will happen. I mean the joyful anticipation of good that is true, that he will always be with us and help us as we draw near to him. Is it the land, this is a strange way of explaining it, but is it the land of the superabundant virtue, that type that you know would allow or aid that grace that would allow St. Teresa Benedict out of the cross to make a choice and not get on the boat to South America, which everybody was encouraging her, including her bishops and her her leaders, her spiritual leaders, but to get on the train. Yeah, to and, go to martyrdom. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's uh, at that stage, at this stage, the soul is really completely detached. It, it can easily echo at any time the words of St. Paul, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And, I, the only, and to summarize him, the only reason I'm sticking around is because he wants me to and because I love you and I'm happy to do what he wants me to do and what you need, you know. And that's, of course, what we see in the saints. And it is a place, the seventh mansion, and really the sixth and the seventh are kind of joined together in a sense. The seventh mansion is very much a place where virtue is perfected. And the person is perfect in a relative sense and not in the divine sense, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's different standard, but perfect in a relative sense. And they, you know, it's that quote, can't remember who, one of the apostolic fathers, 
but he speaks about what it means to be fully alive, right? That that it comes when you you live fully in Christ. And so the person at this stage is fully alive. And so they're the most beautiful they can be in their humanity, in thought, word, and deed, and in their exterior comportment. You know, I think we think of certain saints that really when people came near to them, I think John Paul is in this category, that they're, I remember a non-Christian, non-Catholic talking to me was one of the executives at a Campus Crusade for Christ who went to Rome and, and was in the proximity of Jesus. This is a guy who's rejected the Catholic Church. He said, I felt when he passed by, something went through me that touched me to the core of my being. And so John Paul, I think, and also a man with flaws, interestingly enough, you know, that we discover more and more as time goes on, but I firmly believe in, in his sanctity at the same time. But it just gives you a sense of of the effect of, of the beauty of a soul. I do believe he was uh, likely in the unitive way, and he probably had to be technically to be canonized. But funny thing, though, is this doesn't mean that people who are saints are without flaws, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all of the saints had flaws uh, to some degree or another. Some we know because of uh, the nearness to us in history. Others, we, if we were nearer to them, we would know. And, and Teresa, the, our focus of discussion here, was, I think, sarcastic to the end. You know, uh, made fun of John of the Cross and called him a half-friar and because he was short and, and argued with God as a good descendant of the Jews does. So it's, I think it, it's such a beautiful, I don't know what people think about when they think about all this stuff. To me, it's just beautiful, just beautiful in its brokenness. I don't know how to explain it other than that. It's because God makes all things new. He makes all things whole. And so he shines through like in our weakness, he is made strong, St. Paul said. He loves us anyway. He does. Yeah. I mean, if, if he didn't love us, as Thomas Aquinas would tell us, we wouldn't be here. No, we would, we would cease to exist. It, it is his love, as the Catechism says, I think in the prologue, if I remember right, it's his love that actually is the reason we exist and we aren't in hell or wherever our final destination will be. Yeah, the thing that really strikes me about Edger describing this, it's really the response to that universal call to holiness, that call to wholeness, and that once you're in this seventh mansion, that wholeness, you're there, there's the king, there's my beloved, that nothing else at this point, not that other things don't matter, it's the good, it's the love, it's the, yeah. they're the right things matter. Yeah, and even critics of the Second Vatican Council, like um, St. Athanasius, I mean, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who who have a great reverence for, and he, he's not a critic in the sense of destructive. He's a, kind of saying we should clarify these, you know, these things. He he said recently that the universal call to holiness was one of the most beautiful, good, pure aspects of the council, and I agree with him in that it calls us and it says the folks in the collars and the habits aren't the all old, the ones who are just supposed to be holy, and and I think. It's what I love about Teresa, because even though she was in a habit, her letters reveal and her writing, she had to write in code, right, because of the Inquisition, which was sometimes friendly to her, or the Jesuits were mm -hmm. sometimes friendly to her, 
sometimes not. Um, and, you know, when she says, this is just to my sisters, that's code language. Um, because if you read all of her writings, like, you know, Dr. Lillis and I wrote a book on her letters, you know, she reveals in the letters that when you can see the code words used, right? And this is to everyone because she talked to her, she gave her brother a hair shirt as a gift. So if that doesn't tell you the, I mean, most people, I guess, might be horrified by that. I don't know. But, and if, if the audience doesn't know a hair shirt is just an extremely uncomfortable shirt that's intended to wear um, to help us to do penance. But if she's doing that for a brother who's, who's, a, who's a layman, she, she knew very well that she was speaking to her sisters and to the world. And she also used analogies and, and uh, examples in both the Book of Her Life and in The Devil and the Cat or in The Interior Castle that indicates she knew her audience was wider. She's just trying to stay out of trouble. But um, yeah, we're, we're all, God be praised, this is for us. You know, uh, the writings of St. Catherine of Siena are for us. The writings of Augustine are for us. You know, it's, it's in us, I'm meaning all flesh, right? Everyone who wants to ascend. We have different states in life, but, you know, I, I always think I have the greatest sympathy for moms with, you know, uh, like 300 children under the age of seven, you know, and, and how hard it is. I only had three, and it was hard. I had three. <laughs> but how hard it is to, to live that existence. And I can think, well, or maybe some of our listeners have state in life issues where, but let's just talk about that mom. The beautiful thing is, if that mother does her best to honor her state in life, right? Mm -hmm. And she does her best, so she's not undisciplined. When she sleeps and when she rises is often dictated by the children. But in, insofar as whatever is under her control, she seeks to order to God. And let's say she can only get 15 minutes of mental prayer in a day, and it's interrupted by having to nurse while she's doing it, which I've heard can be a very beautiful experience. She will not be deprived of the grace to reach the heights of contemplation. That's, this is just the beauty and the blessing of our God. So uh, a Carmelite nun has to pray four hours a day, and live by a pretty strict rule and never eat meat and use the discipline every Wednesday and you know, all of these. But that's the vocation that they're called to. So you can have a Carmelite nun on one hand praying four hours a day and a good holy mother imperfectly working on discipline to the degree that she can and she's doing all that she can. They will ascend similarly by the mercy of God. And I just love that. I love that about our faith, that it's not just like this you know, like in the early first, early centuries of the church, you had the Gnostic uh, heresies where it's just this, only this elite group, right? And, and the universal call of holiness is saying, this idea and all of its construct is nonsense. Dan Burke, father, husband, you know, Chris McGregor, wife, mother, can be a saint, and God has given us everything we need to do. We'll return to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. 
Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Love Song by St. Teresa of Avila Majestic Sovereign, Timeless Wisdom Your kindness melts my hard, cold soul Handsome lover, selfless giver Your beauty fills my dull, sad eyes I am yours You made me I am yours You called me I am yours You saved me I am yours. You loved me. I will never leave your presence. Give me death. Give me life. Give me sickness. Give me health. Give me honor. Give me shame. Give me weakness. Give me strength. I will have whatever you give. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke. I think that's why your work is so important because many of those religious orders have the foundational elements, whether in the writing of their founders or in the structure of a continuing format, a rhythm of the day, a rule of the day that helps them to maintain that. In our lay experience, that hasn't always been there. And I think that's what you do so well, especially in the next section of the book. Everybody's seen the book. What's next? Because, you know, the cry of the heart of everyone who goes there, you're you're speaking to me. This I, I understand it. Now what do I do? Yeah. Well, and so Teresa can sometimes sort of hang out in the clouds, right? Mm-hmm. In this beautiful, glorious language and experience. What I tried to do in the book at the end was land it in a way that 100% of the readers, my goal, not, not, I'm not really capable of it, but really worked hard, that 100% of, of the people who picked it up would come to a landing and review a set of very practical principles and very specifically, how can I apply them 
with regard to mental prayer, with regard to staying awake, understanding the irreducible complexity of discipleship, meaning what are the handful of things that if I give myself to the Lord in and through, that I will know and keep making progress in the castle, even though if I read her works, I'm not, you know, I don't have a concise clarity. I brought it to a concise clarity. And the question I asked, uh, we may have talked about this before, but I, I wrestled with this for about five years and I have a little whiteboard on my office wall and I would think about it, pray and write, and I've published a handful of books during that time and edited other books on authentic Catholic spirituality and I'm reading the saints and then I would change the diagram and then it was not right and I would change it again and finally one day I thought, okay, this is close enough, I can't get it any closer which is what I call the paradigm of ascent, which is, paradigm is just a model. It's just a, you can think of it as an illustration or a framework or whatever. But the paradigm of ascent is true in the life of every single saint who has ever lived. And that is, all of them have a yes to God. All of them had deep sacramental immersion. All of them had this conversation with God. All of them had a thesis. And I, you know, oversimplified in our conversation, but it's in the book. Uh -huh. And of course, we lay out exactly how to do those things. And then at the very end, give a whole bunch of resources for folks who want to continue on the path that the book prompted them to. Because you know what's cool? Could you mind if I give you a, a neat report? Please do. So I taught the first class at the Avil Institute using Devil in the Castle, but I taught it totally different than any other class. And that is 80% of the content was student contributions. And so, you know, as you know, at the end of every chapter, except chapter seven, I think, mm -hmm. uh, Seventh Mansion, I have these questions. So the whole class was answering the questions, and then we come to class and we talk about it. And it is so powerful when, like you and I are doing it now, right? I mean, we yep. feel a little bit about our lives. We've done this to the series and our wrestling, but it's so powerful to be in a room with people who are all striving after God. But what the book did that surprised me, delighted me, was the content plus the questions created a level of self-awareness that I've never seen in students before. Discernment of Spirits does that to a really powerful degree. But this book, because it sort of, I feel like a, a, like a divine blessing in it, it that it just has the right balance of, here's the reflection from Teresa, now what does that mean to you? Here's the reflection, what does that mean to you? And it causes you to get up in, into this divine conversation with you and God, you and Teresa, maybe you and your spiritual director, and it really broke open for many students, from priests to religious to laity who were in the course. It brought new light, and I think that's the power of the saints, when we draw near to them, they illumine the path in a way that we hadn't received otherwise. And when there are saints, in the sense that there, it's like the Carmelite path is my path, it really uh, is like aircraft landing lights on the narrow way. And you really, it really, you know, it, it ministered to me to bring clarity in my own walk. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling, but I'm just I just finished the course and I'm just so excited what happened to the students. 
Well, I'm I'm happy to hear this because I mean that's the, the experience I had reading it, and I've shared that with you. That there was oftentimes where I read it, and I'm like, oh, that can't be right. What? Oh, I'm reading this, and then I went back over again, and I'm like, yeah, that's it. But that is what you want. What's the point of exercising? What's the point of going deeper if there isn't it? If it's just a slide down, you know, the slippery a slope or something, that's not the journey we're on. You know, it's not the journey the Lord, you know, revealed to us in His own His own life. And I think something that I love about the saints, I tried to emulate in this book, and that is not watering it down. I don't like to put the cookies lower on the shelf. I like to build a ladder to the upper shelf, right? Uh huh. And you know that the noise you made earlier. I bet many people talk to me like that. And but I make the same noise. That's <laughs> like oh. Gosh, is so I said that very it's that's very hard what I just wrote. Is that and I go back to her and yeah. So okay, this is very hard. And they even worked with the editor on this. This who is a very holy woman, um, Angela Cybulski, awesome human being, uh, we would wrestle back and forth with well, how do we get is it clear enough that we can get people from the oh to what do I do about it, right? Yeah. And uh, I think we've succeeded in, in more than any book that I've written, at least at, at the level of, of The Interior Castle, which is, I think, the most important book ever written in the history of the church on prayer. And I may be overstating it. I don't know if Anthony would agree, Dr. Lillis would agree, but uh, I do. I think it is. So anyway, it's, it's, I didn't like doing read, writing the book. It's a penitential act to me, but the the outcome has really been really been beautiful. Well, I think it's a culmination of so much of what has come before in your writings. And there's nothing wrong with that that oh that feeling that you get because you are seeking self knowledge. The mistake is if we're looking in a spiritual book, and I don't know if you can say this is a long, broad sweeping thing. But if you're looking for knowledge, then you might just get that, but it won't take you anywhere. But ultimately, these great books should lead you to self-knowledge. And that is what has to, you have to be open to it and trust that the Lord is guiding you and the saint that you're reading is right there with you in reality, right? What you just said is incredibly important, and I think it's a huge danger. I can't remember, I, d I recently did a video reflection on it, and I don't remember exactly where I put it, but the danger is, is that we read these kinds of books for knowledge rather than for relationship. Mm -hmm. The, yeah, I wrote the, the video I, I put out, it's called Contemplative Living and the Implications of Belief. And that is, uh, the example I give is a pastor one time told me that I didn't love anyone but myself and that I was incredibly selfish and self-centered, even in my self-giving, and I just about wrecked me it through tears. You know, what do I do? Because what you're saying isn't true about the deepest part of who I am. I am imperfect in my love, and I do have mixed emotions, but what you're experiencing of me doesn't reflect what's in my heart, and so even though I need to be healed, I, how do I get out of this? And so he said, memorize 1 Corinthians 13. 
And so I did. You know, if I speak with the tongues of the men and of angels, but I do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But I came to this one passage where it says, you know, love hopes all things. I thought, well, I don't even know what hope is. So I looked it up, I looked at definitions. I don't know. What I came up with was hope is a joyful anticipation of good. So I thought, well, what are the implications of me hoping, having a joyful anticipation of good of, of Chris McGregor? What would that look like? What it would look like is no matter what happened between us, let's say we had rough patches in the past or some of the issues between, no matter what happened between us in the past, when you saw me, you would see, it's you, right? Uh-huh. It's so good to see you. It's, I, 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 you know, I, I didn't know we'd run across each other here in Rome or, or gosh, it's, you know, what's going on in your life? And so it's just this, it's an effusion of love for the other, for the good that we expect God is doing in their life, you know? So when we read these books, if we don't use this principle of what are the implications of my belief? So I read this spiritual book, I believe this thing, now what am I going to do about it? Because if you don't do that, Francis de Sales reveals that that's a dangerous thing to do. Because God is giving you the knowledge for the purpose of love and expanding the kingdom of God and to give yourself. If you keep it, then you end up where Paul describes, he says, he says, love, he says knowledge puffs up and love builds up, meaning you can have a kind of knowledge that's destructive. Elsewhere, of course, you know, he speaks of this knowledge of the sublime wisdom of God and all of these beautiful things in Ephesians. And he uses the same word, but the context helps you to understand one is a knowledge that is self-centered. I want to know so that I can be in control, so I can be seen as wise or spiritual, or that I can be seen as knowledgeable. The other one is, I want to know because I want to love God, and I want to eradicate what, everything in me that keeps me from doing that. And I want to love his people, and I want to eradicate everything in me that keeps me from doing that. And that almost brings me to tears. I'm already crying. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. You got me. I mean, that's a, that's it, right? That is it. That is that's it. it. So to, to everyone who listens to everything that Chris does on Discerning Hearts, I have this challenge for you. What are the implications of belief? Because what she's constantly doing is serving the church by giving these beautiful, holy conversations to you. Now, what are you going to do about it, right? Because if you're not, you're in danger, and you need to evaluate and what you, why you're consuming what you consume. But if you are, you're going to become a saint. If, if you constantly say, okay, I, this is new, what do I do? And you know what's even, I've even noticed with good, devout people, like not just active Catholics, but devout Catholics, people who are going to Mass every day, who actually want to be holy, but who can't seem to get out of the bonds of original, of their, of their root sin, I should say, or their things that they struggle with, like, I don't know, raise root sin, but uh, this one thing is missing. It's, I encounter truth, do I live it, versus just thinking about it. Because one to go back to an earlier portion of The Devil in the Castle, that knowledge, the self-knowledge, I'm aware of my sin, the devil will quickly then have you judging others and criticizing others, and you develop a critical spirit. This was another surprise in my classes. I'll, if I remember, I'll come back to it. But that knowledge can be used to have a critical spirit instead of knowledge that is humbling, that seeks to lower ourselves and to wash the feet of, of others, you know. But what was shocking to me back on the critical spirit thing is in this class, 
the vast majority, every student is practicing mental prayer. I have prereqs, right? And every one of those using discernment of spirits uh, as a prerequisite. Most of them said they suffered with spirit. Recent past, present, present really bad, you know, all the spectrum. But that's what happens when we don't deal with me. God is showing me now how do I love him and love others more through what I know now. When we don't do that, it's very dangerous. You're so good, my dear brother in Christ. I am so grateful for you and for your work and your beautiful bride, Stephanie, and everything that you're doing. I just wish we could talk so much more, but I- You and Bruce, come down and hang out with us. We'll talk. Oh, I do. I want to. I really do. I know, I'm totally serious. And you know, you know- <laughs> I'm ready. Everyone's listening. We're still on the air, so I have to be careful what I say. There's no cost, There's and you will be fed like you've never been fed, and- you know, you'll be you'll you'll be able to wander around the lake. I'm ready, but the thing is, I just want to before we close. There's so much more, especially in the back of the book. There's um, it, encouragement resources. I can't encourage people more to dive in deeper into the work that you're doing. The fruitfulness of your apostolate. I can't name them all, but when you, I think of the joy in the hearts of Karen, Kathy, Jim, Paula. Teresa, I can, I could go on, name, 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 and it's it's all so beautiful. The great cloud here on earth, you know, it kind of mirrors what's happening in great cloud of witnesses. And are are they all perfect? Or am I? I'm so perfect. But it's so lovely, and you know, it's beautiful. It's a beauty to gaze on with those eyes of your heart. Yeah. No. And to walk together, you know in our brokenness to, to chase after the Lord and to know him, encourage one another. And I, I think I've always thought of discerning hearts as like, I don't have, I'm not territorial, which is sometimes not to my benefit, but spiritually it is always. But I always think, I wish there were five more discerning hearts, you know, out there. But what we do is very symbios symbiotic, as a way to say it, where you're constantly prompting people and, and some of those people come take classes at the Avalon Institute, and it's because of the fire that you've sparked in them and encouraged them, and they're going, well, how do I... How what's do I next? Yeah, what do I, what's next? You're the what's next for a lot of, so many souls on discerning hearts listening, I, you're the what next. I mean, how can you go in? It's the lay response, the place to go. Yeah, I mean, what's beautiful about you, even the, the offerings you have online, I'm going to say this. I'm going to try you. You're going to have to correct me again. You're my big brother in faith, but you know there are those out there who would have you try and buy. I've just my experience with those souls around the world outside of the United States. Uh, Dan, that's so off-putting. They're so repelled yeah. by that, and are in that, and we don't see it because we're steeped in it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, we have an you know the marketing culture, and I think like you, what we try to do. To the great, we've given them away a million dollars in scholarships since 2013, mm -hmm. and that's because when we started, my passion was to somehow serve the poor in their in their suffering and their lack of spiritual care. And so um, we 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 everything in Apostolic VA community is free. Uh, we have more volunteers there. We have to pay professors at the Avalanche to 
everything you do is free. And I think it's because we believe freely, we have received freely, therefore we give, as St. Paul said in Romans. That's it. Come and get it. Yeah, please do. I'm coming. I'm going to bring Bruce. I mean, we, we have got to do this. We've got to make this happen. But in the meantime, for all those, just forget about us. Yeah. Do get this. Get all the other works. We have the links. And, I, you know, again, if when you have a moment out of your busy schedule, if you ever want to go down another journey, down and explore a different area, let's do it. My, I keep calling you, and you are. You're my big brother in the faith, my dear friend. Thank you, Dan Perk. God bless you. You've been listening to St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. Or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. Also, you can view the video of our conversation by visiting the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you find us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for... St. Teresa of Avila, Spiritual Warfare and the Progress of the Soul with Dan Burke.